Hello, I'm Jacqueline Hellier and this is the Tantric Lounge, where we talk sex, science and spirituality. Welcome. This is my very first program and I'm so excited that you're joining me here today and I'm excited about taking my message out to the entire world because what we're talking about here is a different approach to sexuality. I call it the third wave. It's way beyond that shameful approach to sex that we had for so long and it's beyond this small sleazy, almost sordid approach to sex that we've had for the last few decades. This is sex as meaningful. This is sex as personal empowerment. And that's why we're here on the Empowerment Channel, because I believe that it's our sexuality that's the missing link to true empowerment. I'm sure, like me, you're seekers, you're questers, you're after the truth, you're after, you're on the journey to becoming a fully, a full human being, about finding that empowerment and being, reaching your potential. And as we humans are so sexual, our sexuality is very much at the base of who we are as humans. If we deny or suppress our sexuality, if we don't fully embody it, take it on board and use this very powerful um, energy in in ourselves, in our lives, well, there's always going to be something missing. So I am a sex geek. I've studied sex absolutely thoroughly in all different areas. I've done the science. I've done the mystical stuff ancient tantric practices, you name it, I've done it, I've been there. So I feel that I've got a pretty good idea about what's going on and I've done a lot of work and so this is really exciting for me to be able to take it out to the world through the Tantric Lounge radio program. So every program, we're going to spend the first part of it having interesting conversations around fascinating topics to do with sex and sexuality, sex, love, intimacy in a way that's going to empower you, to give you more knowledge. In the middle of the show, I'm going to invite you to call in or email your questions. Uh, I am a sex therapist as well, so this is what I do. I'm here to help you. Anything goes. The email number, you can call in, you can email now if you like, is questions at thetantriclounge.com and we'll give you a phone number closer to the time. And then at the end of each program, we're going to finish with an activity. Because I'm very much about the experiential aspect. Talking's all well and good, but unless you actually start practicing it, you're not going to incorporate it into your life. So we're going to finish each show with some kind of guided uh, meditation or activity that I'm going to give you that you'll do with me. And so you can start incorporating this into your life straight away. So that's the outline of every program. Now, for the first program, I was thinking, hmm, what will my listeners want to know about? What are you probably most curious about for my very first show? And it occurred to me that you are probably most uh, curious about, well, me. Yes, who is this Jacqueline Hellio and her Tantric Lounge radio show? So I thought I'd devote the first show to, well, yes, me, so, so that you can find out about me. But rather than just sit here and rave on about myself, I thought it would be more interesting for you listeners um, if I invited along my good friend and in creative collaborator, Xavier Watercane, to join me in conversation about me. Hello, world. 
Jacqueline, okay, so it's all about you. Yes, it is all about me today. Thank you, Xavier. So firstly, why the Tantric Lounge? First off, what is Tantra? What does the word mean? Okay, well, Tantra originated back in ancient India, and the word means um, weft or, or web, and it's all about expansion because they had an approach to life, to everyday life, which included sexuality that was all about personal growth, spiritual growth, as did a lot of other old cultures such as Taoism from China, Kadosha from North America and so forth. And they had a very different approach to sexuality than we have had in the West, which has been very limited and suppressed. So the term Tantra these days, it is different. We're not in 5th century India. Uh, So the term Tantra these days tends to be given to an approach to sexuality that is more meaningful, that's more integrated into life, and that is more empowering. And that's why I like to use the word Tantra. Going more with that weaving analogy about weaving sexuality into life rather than just leaving it as a separate thing that's outside of life. Yes, like it's like this little box that we have to put over there. Okay. Mm. And why lounge? Ah, the lounge, yes. Well, because sex is supposed to be sensual and gorgeous and yummy and it's all about all the good things in life and what better than to have that sense of lounging around. We don't want to have the tantric desktop Although for some people that might be an erotic turn-on, I must admit. Well, there's a turn-on for everybody, is there? There is. We all have our own individual eroticism. And speaking about individuality, not all sexperts are created equally. No. Different types of sexperts. So what's so different about your approach? Right. Well, you can kind of categorise modern-day sexperts into three types. So you have your clinical types, quite scientific, tends to be very dry. It's a little bit, yes, sex is good, jolly good, we should all have sex, let's get our erections happening and our vaginas lubricating and that's all very good. That's fine. Then we have our, what can I call them without sounding too derogatory, more the sleazy type. It's kind of like, hey, look, here's this new vibrator and it's so cool and, you know, porn stars are all fantastic and let's all watch porn and let's all act like porn stars. You're right. There's absolutely nothing um, derogatory about the word sleazy. A bit of sleaze is fine. I have no problems with sleaze, but if the whole approach to sexuality is sleazy, it's limited. It's just as limited as that shame approach. And then we have another type uh, who I call the hippie herbals, and they're really into Tantra and so forth, and it's all, you know, it's all very cosmic and om shanti la but it's often not very grounded. So what I'm trying to do here, and why I love the term the Tantric Lounge and how it's about sex, science and spirituality, is I'm trying to coordinate and bring all of those three together. So yes, there is the scientific rigor behind it. Um, there is the eroticism. Yeah, it is. Mm, yeah, if you don't have the mm, factor, then hey, it's just a bit dull. Um, but it is also has a bit of that cosmic spiritual aspect to it because it is about, you know, meaning and growth and so forth. And so that's what I do. You know, it's sex as art, it's sex as science, it's sex as personal empowerment. Some of us are born to sex, some of us aspire to sex, and some of us have sex thrust upon us. Which (laughs) one are you? And what what I'm asking is (laughs) you describe yourself as a sex geek and, well, how do you become a sex geek? And what's a nice kid like you doing in a place like sex therapy? (laughs) Yeah, well, I guess you could say I've had all of those. I I sort of did have sex thrust upon me in some ways, you know. I was wondering, you know, what's my purpose in life? And it seemed the universe was saying, it's sex, sweetheart, it's sex. So this is my cross to bear and I have never been happier. Um, Look, when I I was first an undergrad, 
doing my first science degree. I actually have three science degrees and a few others as well. Um, I was fascinated by sex. But what do you do that when you're a 21-year-old? Um, so it took me, actually took almost another couple of decades almost before um, and a whole different career before I found myself starting to specialise in sex again and through a whole series of situations not least of which was being at a parenting function at the school and not long after I'd had my third child. And uh, there was a woman there, one of the mums who'd been widowed the year before. She was there with a new partner and, of course, you know, they were all over each other and everyone was jibing them about, yeah, enjoy it while it lasts and so forth. And I piped up with, oh, but my husband and I are having the best sex we've ever had. And everyone was stunned. They looked at me. They were like, but you have three children. You have a new baby, for Christ's sake. How can you be having any sex, let alone the best sex of your life? So that really got me thinking. And I came to realise that my approach and my experience of sex was very different to most people's and that all those jokes about, you know, sex dropping off were, um, weren't just jokes. They were actually people's grim reality. So I looked at myself and my life and I have spent my whole life questing, seeking for empowerment. I've done yoga since I was a kid. I meditate regularly. I've studied the internal martial arts like Aikido and Qigong and so forth. So I realized that my approach to sex was very much the tantric approach. And very much not the norm. And not the norm. No, no. It was very much about letting go and being present and getting out of your head and taking the time, creating the space, all the sorts of things which we are going to be talking about over subsequent weeks. It was a bit of a revelation to you to realise that the people didn't have the, your sort of sex life. Oh, yes, and I felt so sad for people, so sad. And then it's a crusade, really, to open people up to their sexuality. Well, I'm sure the listeners got a really good introduction to you there. I so hope so. we'll go off to a commercial break now. Indeed. So if everybody would like to join us... With your questions. Welcome back. I'm Jacqueline Hellier and this is the Tantric Lounge. So into part two of our first show, Xavier. Yes, we are. And also to remind our overseas listeners, people that aren't in the United States, the number for uh, questions is one, that's the country code of the United States, 480 Three eight zero. That number again is what country code one, followed by four eight zero three nine eight one three eight zero. Although it's probably more convenient for you to simply email us at, at, at questions at the tantriclounge.com. Besides doing your one-on-one therapy, you also yes. run workshops. Yes, Tell us a little bit true. about what people get out of workshops that they don't necessarily get out of one-on-one therapy. Yeah, sure. So when people come to see me one-on-one or one-on-two, because I'm obviously I'm often dealing with couples, uh, we do a lot of talking and we really get into to their issues and, and their stuff. What we can do in a workshop is we can get experiential. And I think that's so important, especially if we're talking about sex. So, you know, talking only gets so far. And so when I run my workshops and my retreats and so forth, then I can guide people, just as I'm going to guide people um, at the end of this at the end of this program as well. So you can really feel what I'm talking about because ultimately that's what sex is about and too many Westerners are in their heads and not in their bodies so they're not really truly letting go and being able to feel what it's all about. And there's also retreats as well. What are, what's it 
retreat and what happens there? Yeah, well, the difference between a workshop and a retreat is that a retreat is residential, okay? So that means that you've got a lot more time to be in this different space. So for the couples, when we do retreats, we'll have a couple of hours of workshop-type experience and then they get plenty of time on their own to go off and do their homework, Right, and then we'll come back later on in the day, do a couple more hours, and so forth. So that's that's what happens. And with the women's retreats, well, <laughs> being women, women love to chat and connect and so forth. So it gives um, the women a really wonderful opportunity to get to know each other and to be in this space where everyone's being really open about the fact that we are sexual beings and what does this mean. And one of the things that I love is that people come to realize that they're not alone. Because we so rarely talk about sex and talk about it at a very personal level about what is sex for us, what are our own personal experiences, what are our fears and concerns or our hopes or our joys, then we're very much on our own. And then when you start opening up and sharing with other people what what sex is for you, it's just so freeing. Mm. And which is why you also do public speaking. People ask you to speak at cinemas. What what sort of subjects do they ask you to Oh, well, that, that varies. Like just last week I gave the keynote speech at a uh, ladies' lunch for a, for a big charity here in Australia. Um, and they just, it was all women, so I just gave them a talk about secret women's business. And essentially that was about how amazing it is to be female and how powerful female sexuality is. Because so many people still buy into those myths that women are less sexual than men. And that's actually not true. If you look at our biology, if you understand our energy and our psychology and stuff, you can see that, if anything, women are actually more sexual than men, right? We've, got, we've had it back to front for an awfully long time. And once you get rid of all the crap which is what next week's program is going to be. Next week we're going to be talking about ditching the myths. Because once you start ditching all that, all the myths and the stuff that isn't true, and once you start to then understand what is true and what your potential is, well, then a whole new world opens up to you. The, um, the, you also write. Yes, I too. <laughs> so I know you write quite a lot because I've edited practically everything you've ever you written. Ah, my creative collaborator. That's right. Yes. Yes. So, what is it about writing that appeals to you? Well, I love to write. I just do. I like to get in the zone. It's kind of like I'm getting downloads. In fact, a lot of the stuff I get, people often ask me, you know, where do you get this stuff from? Do you have some kind of guru yourself? And actually a lot of what I get is by going into the kind of spaces, whether it's within a sexual encounter or, or simply meditative, and, and I get these downloads. So whether that's me tuning into my, my higher self or the other, you know, spiritual stuff, I don't know, I don't care. Um, but certainly when I'm writing, I can put all of this information that I've been honoured and blessed to be given and translate that with your wonderful help into words that, that modern-day Westerners can take on board. The first book, in fact, is about women. We have a book coming out. The next book at is. Some, at, some, at some point. Yes. Um, in fact, we actually have our first question now. Jane, oh, do from we? all people, Milwaukee, congratulations, Jane. You oh. are in, our inaugural question asker. Oh, I wish I had a present for Jane. <laughs> well, never mind. Never mind. Um, Jane's actually, uh, Jane has actually got, got a rather intimate question. It's mm. about um, being uh, thinking that she's a rather late starter. Uh, um, yes. She's dealing with the question of being a rather mature virgin. Right. Um, has there been an outbreak of virginity? Has there been an outbreak of virginity? Uh, well, I have to say I do get quite a lot of um, clients coming along who are late virgins, whatever that means. Um, 
you know, in their late 20s onwards and certainly in 40s is not that unusual. Or if not actually virgins, virtual virgins. I, I had a client once who had come out of a very long um boring marriage where sex had been non-existent for many, many years and she said that uh, she felt like a very experienced virgin. She'd had sex but really had no idea. Um, so a lot of people come to me, so whether they've never actually had sex or they've only had bad sex or they haven't had sex for a long time or they've got a lot of issues around sex, then, you know, that's perfectly normal. What I help with them is just to clear away any crap that's clouding them um, certainly late virgins often think that no one's going to want them, that people will think that they're freaks and so forth. So I help them shift that into a more positive framework. In fact, a lot of um, people would be honoured to be the first partner. Um, I also that, know from your writing that often um, a poor sex life, life is linked yep. to obesity and issues like that because people have poor body images and that sort of thing. Yes, well, you know, whether they think they're too fat or they're too thin, I mean, so many issues come from the body issue. Uh, I often say that it's almost impossible for women to grow up in the West without with a positive body image because everything is thrust at us is about that we're not good enough, and even, even when the partner, because in fact men tend to be not quite so selective, you know, the partner, the male partner will be sitting there going but you're gorgeous you know I love you I don't care that you're you got a little chubbier or you, we've had kids of course your breasts are floppier than they used to be and she's like oh no 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 I'm ugly oh no um, so women often have a poorer self-esteem about their own body image than the men that they think are interested in them oh yes absolutely so men mm. have some, one story going on in here yes while yes. women have a completely different story going on with their head. In either way, not much sex is happening. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's very funny. I, I often have a little chuckle to myself when I, I have clients coming in and they have completely different stories about what's going on in their sex life, you know, when a couple comes in. Um, I can't tell you how many times where the lower desire partner is saying, oh, look, you know, my partner wants, I, I reckon they'd want sex at least once a day. Um and then I, but I, I don't want it very often. You know, I'd be happy with once, once a week. And then the partner comes in, the supposed person who wants it every day, and he goes, "Oh no, look, I'd be really happy with once a week, but I think my partner would only want it like once a year." And then I get them in together, and I'm like, "You know what? Do you know how often you both said you'd want to have sex?" And they're both like, "Oh, you know, that one wants it every day, and oh, that one wants it once a year." And I'm like, "Nope. You know, you both said once a week." And they just look so, really? Really? <laughs> and, and to that end, we've got Paul from, from Vermont, of all places. Oh, Paul, number two, yay. Um, he's asking what what's normal. What's normal? Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> I get that one all the time. Anything is normal. It's like saying what's normal when it comes to food. We all have different tastes in food and therefore we all have different tastes in sex. We all have different appetites in food, so therefore we have different appetites in sex. So if you like to have one big meal a day and that's it, well, that's okay. And if your partner likes to sort of graze throughout the day, that's fine as well. So you know, you might like to have sex once a day. Someone else might like to have sex every couple of every couple of weeks or something. You know, some people might like to have it under the covers with the lights out. Other people might have a dungeon in the basement. Okay, it's all normal. It's all good, as long as long as the sexual activity is between consenting adults, informed consenting adults. Then hey, <laughs> do what you like. You know, if anal fisting's your thing, fist away. I have no problems with what people do. My main issue is around how you do it. 
right? Where's it coming from? Is it a true expression of self? Okay. So do you think the biggest problem that people face sexually as a whole these days is that mm. people aren't being true to themselves? Yes, absolutely. It's so ingrained in the West that we aren't, we aren't true sexually. We're not truly expressive. So, you know, for many centuries we had sex as shame. That reached a peak in the, uh, in the Victorian era, which wasn't that long ago really in the grand scheme of things. Um, so people, particularly women, weren't allowed to even be sexual. Girls were brought up to think that they weren't sexual and shouldn't be sexual. And generally, if they were sexual, we tend to do things like uh, stone them to death, burn them at the stake, lock them up in insane asylums. So it was kind of hard to be a sexual woman. And then the blokes, bless them, the men, like if you suppress female sexuality, well, then you're going to suppress male sexuality because you know, if she's not into it, well, he's not going to be able to have a, a full experience. So, yeah, so th no one was being true back in those days, except some lucky individuals who might have figured it out. And then after the sexual revolution in the, the 60s and 70s, well, we kind of had more like sex as sleaze. It was kind of like, yay, we could all have sex. Sex is great. But this whole thing has grown up where it's sort of the opposite. Like, yeah, it's almost like, you know, the little boys have been given permission to sort of, yeah, let's, you know, let's go for it, hubba hubba. And so now everyone's kind of thinking that they should be acting like porn stars. And there's this whole thing now of sex as performance, right, which keeps people in their heads thinking, am I doing it right? You know, is she ever going to come? Am I ever going to come? Am I not going to come too quickly? Ah. And so rather than it being this beautiful, free, letting go, surrendering to the experience and just allowing it to be whatever it might be, people are kind of, you know, stuck in their heads and then everyone has, you know, performance anxiety and people have performance anxiety anxiety when they worry about their performance anxiety. And then they probably have performance anxiety, 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 and so you just end this endless <laughs> cycle, downward spiral of anxiety and anxiety yes. and it's all terrible and, yes. and people come to you and say, help. Help, help. They do. They Maybe do. not necessarily that tone of voice. We've got, <laughs> we've got Alicia from our local, from Perth. Hi, Alicia. Hello, Alicia. So what, So um, she's emailed us and is asking us, so is it normal to have a lowering of your sex drive as you get older? Ah, good question. Well, uh, no, it's not age-related. Um, it can be long-term relationship-related. So it is... It's always a challenge to keep a sex life strong and the desire strong in a long-term relationship. It just is, okay? But that's not because you're getting older. It's because you're, you're dealing with issues that kind of go against some of our innate biology. Um, and certainly many, many women who have been in long-term relationships that have been very dull and, and they haven't been relating in a way that encouraged their sexual desire have just bought into that silly old myth that, well, it's just natural for women and all men to lose their mojo as they get older. But, hey, then they meet this other guy, they have a new relationship and suddenly they're like, oh, my God, this is like being 16 again, right? Um, and I've heard that some old people's homes are some of the randiest places you can imagine. It's got nothing. Oh, really? Yes. Yes. There's the a lot of septuagenarians and the octogenarians are getting it on in ways that we can barely imagine. Yes. Oh. Yes. So sexual desire is not about age. It's generally about what you're doing to incite that sexual desire. And while long-term monogamy is a very good thing, it's a good social thing, it is a challenge. And it's really important that we realize it's a challenge 
and that we do the kinds of things which are going to enable us to maintain desire in the long term. And we're going to be talking a lot more about that this over coming weeks. And so, true to great the theme, question, and, Yeah, and true to the theme of the way that this show is evolving, yeah. um, we've, got, we've got James from Melbourne, another local great, yep. um, asking about, um, he says, is, it, is, is infidelity common? Are people often... Mm. Is it, is it unfaithful? Is com- yeah, I mean, is it more common than we we imagine? Perhaps. Oh well, look, it's very common, very very common. Um, and there's been all sorts of studies and so forth that vary from about fifty to seventy five percent of of relationships have some level of um, infidelity. I once heard that there were statistics uh, mm. just taken after World War Two mm. when they did paternity tests, and they <laughs> discovered that fully twenty five percent of people. Mm weren't the actual fathers that yes. they thought they were. Mm-hmm. So even if only a small percentage of acts of sex result in children, yes. you're looking at a lot of infidelity. A there. lot of acts of sex, yes, yes. And this is true. Like humans do pair bond, that's true. We are a pair bonding species. But that doesn't mean that we're necessarily naturally monogamous. Um, and I will we'll definitely be having some shows around this topic because it really is Um, an important one and basically the approach that I take is look I really don't believe based on the science and based on anthropology and and prehistory studies and so forth I don't really think that humans are naturally uh, monogamous however monogamy is a good thing it's certainly the social norm and if you if you understand that it's not necessarily natural and therefore easy to be monogamous and that you actually have to work hard at being monogamous just like you have to work at being wealthy right you don't just naturally become rich or you have to work at you know staying trim and healthy you don't doesn't necessarily naturally just happen it's the same with love and desire and all these sorts of things you have to do things you've got to put place put things in your life set up the structures, do all the sorts of stuff that encourages the kind of sexual and intimate relating that you want. Petra from San Antonio wants to know whether she can let her young children listen in onto this program. Will that be okay? Are we going to go very... (laughs) Because basically she's asking about um, talking to her children about sex, so she just wants to know whether it's okay. Well, look, Petra, that's that's, uh, your decision. It's really a bit more adult-oriented, but it's an important point that you that you raise there because I think it is really important that we do raise our children to be sex positive, particularly in these these times where there's a lot of porn star versus prude going on, um, a lot of sex education that children, well, certainly in this country, in Australia, get. It's, it's not bad, but um, it is a bit prudish still and they don't really talk about pleasure. It's all very anatomical and it's more about reproduction than lovemaking. Um so children being children, very inquisitive. Sex is a very natural part of child's inquisitive nature. So what do they do? They turn to porn, okay? Now, while I don't necessarily have anything against porn, I don't think it's good sex education. And I'm seeing more and more young people who are coming to me having used porn as their sex education medium and having all these completely insane ideas about what good sex is, okay? Um I'm sure I'll be talking about porn a lot more in other programs. But basically, porn's designed to titillate. It's a visual medium designed to titillate and arouse. Um, It doesn't actually necessarily educate you in how to arouse. 
So, and it's very much what looks good, not what feels good. So, for instance, you see an awful lot of women performing oral sex because that's much more visually interesting than seeing a man performing oral sex on a woman, which is kind of a little bit dull to watch. Okay, so and that's why you see all the bigger, harder, faster. Yeah, yeah. Do me big boy. Whoa, whoa. Way to go. Because that's more interesting to watch than, say, seeing a couple in a ecstatic tantric embrace for an hour at a time where they're barely moving. That makes for pretty boring um, watching. So, what, what, our, what our listeners don't yet know is yes. that you are, in fact, a mother of three. Yes, I am a mother of three. I did mention that, actually. I okay. Yes, yes, yeah, I am a mother of three. So, you know. And how old are your children? My children are 9, 11 and 17, yes. And how did you raise them to be more sexually aware or sexually empowered, at least in their education? Yeah, well, I never denied sex. Certainly when they were little, um, referred to sex as cuddle time. So um, mummy and daddy needed cuddle time. Um, and when we were having cuddle time, they could, you know, watch tele television or, you know, play with their Lego build super galactic space stations and so forth. Um, so they've always they've always been very open about it. They know what my work is. They're quite proud of my work. In fact, my eldest, who's in his last year of high school at the moment, is considering following in his mother's footsteps and becoming a sex therapist as well, which oh, makes me so proud. He actually gets a lot of cool, doesn't he, as a result of your work? Yes, well, over the years. He's got a cool mother. His friends have often come up to me and asked if they can ask questions and so forth. And what do they ask? Well, this is when I first started realising the problems with, you know, porn and sex education because when they were only about 12 years old, I had some of his little friends asking me things like, doesn't anal sex hurt women? And um, and things like that. And I'm like, well, you're only 12, you're not supposed to know about things like that. But... Yeah, you know, parental controls on the internet don't always work. Mm. We'll be talking more about children and sex later. Oh, look, I'm sure we'll be doing a show on bringing your children up sex positive. Yes. In fact, for the Australian listeners, I'm doing one on the ABC later in this month. Mm. Um, there's a common topic at the moment about sex addiction. Mm-hmm. What exactly is sex addiction? What does that mean? Oh, look, there's lots of different definitions of it. Because um, porn is often blamed for inciting yes. or exacerbating sex addiction. Yes. Well, see, the thing about oh, this is quite a big topic, Xavier, and I think we're about to go into our next um, commercial break, aren't we? Because, yeah, because I'm basically, if you, you've got to understand addiction and so forth. And there are ways of approaching sex which tend to encourage the addiction mechanism in our bodies. So we get this big, huge dopamine build up, this big drive, and then it oh, drops off and we feel really empty. So then we want more. And and so you want more and you want harder and you want more intense, but then your, your brain starts getting saturated. So it stops taking up the, the dopamine. And so you, you're craving for it more. And so you try for harder, but it's, it's, it's not working. And some people can get that approach to sex. And that's when they sort of got to crave it and they have it and then it's got to but then it doesn't satisfy them, so then they go for more. Um, so your sex addiction does exist, but I really want to make the very strong point because I often get um, um, women coming along claiming that their husbands are sex addicts or the men saying, oh, I've been told I'm a sex addict because he's not getting any sex from his wife or what he's getting is not true intimate lovemaking. She's just kind of, oh, I haven't had it for a couple of weeks, just make it quick. 
And she thinks he's a sex addict because he desires it so much. When in fact, what he really wants is intimate connection with his wife. And we'll go into that topic much more yes. deeply much yeah. later. Yeah, that's not sex addiction. No. <laughs> that's loneliness. Mm. Just in case anybody's interested, yes. um, the e-books that accompany this radio yes. program are available through the Jacqueline Hellier website. Yes. Hello, this is Jacqueline Hellier, and you're here on the Tantric Lounge. So back to the third, third and last part of our show, our first show, Xavier. That music, by the way, is a little 70s, isn't it? Oh, I rather like it. I think it's very down on the lounge kind of groove. This is the therapy part of the um, pro- program. This, this, is is where, this is where you have your therapy hat on. No, this is where I have my workshop hat on. Work, workshop hat on. The last okay. bit was the therapy. Oh, no, that's right. That's Listeners, right. we're still getting used to our brand new show here. So given that we're now going to do a workshoppy type exercise. We are indeed. We're going to do an exercise to get present or at least to feel what it's like to be present in our bodies. Okay. So this is going to take about 10 minutes or so. And I'd just like you to get very comfortable in a position that is symmetrical. So no crossed arms or, or crossed legs. Okay, you're going to do it too, Xavier? Um, yes, it's rather difficult in the current sitting position, but I'll give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. All right, so let me just explain a bit first about what presence is. This okay? is. <laughs> the, 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 the listeners can't actually see my position. I'm sort of looking a bit yogic. You're looking very yogic. You look a little bit like a frog, actually, but that's Thanks. okay. <laughs> let me explain first about what presence is. So there's two elements to being present in your body and being present in time. Now, being present in your body means that you're actually in your body. Now, for many Westerners, we spend so much time in our heads that it's like our bodies are almost like a foreign country in a way. We don't really kind of feel ourselves in our bodies. So that's one element of being present. And very much a lot of the work that I do is about getting out of your head and getting into your body. The other element is to be present in time. So rather than either thinking about what's coming up or worrying about what's happened in the past and being fixated on that, it's about being right here, right now, okay? Because this is is the type of um, feeling, type of embodiment that you need to have the best possible sex that you can. When you can make love from a position of presence, absolutely in your body, absolutely here, right now, well you can go places okay so what we're going to do today is the absolutely most fundamental bit of all of this and that's about actually getting a sense of what it is to feel present and then in future programs we'll do more exercise and activities so that you can actually um, get present quickly but today's one's just about feeling what it's like okay so are you So, so we're going to be feeling ourselves Yes, we are going to be feeling ourselves from the inside. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you can stand, you can sit, you can lie down. Uh, just a word of warning, if you are driving a car or operating heavy machinery or doing anything that requires a lot of external concentration, do not close your eyes. And if in any way you feel yourself losing ability to focus on the external, then don't do this. You can always listen to the podcast later on. Okay. But for those of you who can, even if you're just sitting at your desk with your headphones on, just, you know, stop your typing, just close your eyes, have your legs uh, flat, not crossed, and stay with me. So we're going to get present in the left side of our bodies. So 
I'd like you to bring your attention to your left little toe. Just the toe. It's as though there's nothing in the world that exists apart from your left little toe. Be aware of the ball of the toe, the tip of the toe, the nail of the toe, the whole left toe. And then the space between it and the fourth toe. Just the space. Then across to the fourth toe. Bring your awareness fully to the fourth toe. To the ball of the toe, the tip of the toe, the nail of the toe, the whole fourth toe. And then the space between it and the third toe. Just the space. And now you're present in the whole of the third toe. Ball of the toe, tip of the toe, nail of the toe, whole third toe. To the space between it and the second toe. Just the space. And now the second toe. Be fully present and aware of that second toe. The ball of the toe, tip of the toe, nail of the toe. Whole second toe. And across to the space between it and the big toe. Just the space. And now the big toe. Bring your awareness fully to the big toe of your left foot. The ball of the toe, the tip of the toe, the nail of the toe, the whole of the big toe. And so now you're very present in all five toes of your left foot. Now allow your awareness to travel up through the bones of your foot as they come from the toes and then narrow towards your ankle. Be aware of the top of your foot, the sole of your foot, the arch of your foot, the heel of your left foot. And now into your left ankle. Being aware of the internal joint of the ankle, of the outer ankle and the inner ankle. And now allow your awareness to travel up through your shin bone all the way up to your knee. And then be aware of the muscle of the calf behind the bone. Be aware of the skin of the shin and the calf covers the muscle. Bring your awareness to your left knee, the joint of the knee, the front of the knee, the back of the knee. And now allow your awareness to travel up through the big bone of the thigh all the way up to your hip. Be aware of all the muscle that covers that bone and the skin that covers the muscle. Bring your awareness to your inner thigh, the front of your thigh, your outer thigh and the back of your thigh. And now up into your hip. Be aware of the hip joint. Be aware of the whole of the left side of your pelvis. You can bring your awareness to the left side of your genitals for the gentleman of your penis and of your left testicle. For the women, be aware of the left side of your labia, of your clitoris, of your vagina. Be aware of the buttock, your left buttock, that huge muscle and the skin that surrounds it. Now bring your awareness further up into the left side of your abdomen. All of the intestines in the left side of your abdomen. Be aware of the skin of the front of your tummy of the side left waist and of the left lower back. Now allow your awareness to rise up into your diaphragm, the left side of your diaphragm, the left side of your rib cage, your left lung and heart. Be aware of the left side of your chest, your breast for the women and your nipple. Bring your awareness round to your left underarm and to the left upper back and the left shoulder bone the shoulder blade and to the left shoulder itself, the joint of the shoulder. And now you allow your awareness to travel down your left upper arm, down the bone of your upper arm. And be aware of the muscle of the triceps and the biceps and the skin around the muscle, the inner upper arm and the outer upper arm. Down to your left elbow, the joint of the elbow, inner elbow, outer elbow. And down the double bone of the forearm, the muscle around it the skin that surrounds it, inner forearm, outer forearm, to your left wrist, the
the joint of the wrist. And now allow your awareness to travel through the bones as they fan out from your wrist through your hand to your fingers. Be aware of the palm of your hand and the back of your hand to your left little finger, the first knuckle, second knuckle, third knuckle, nail, ring finger, first knuckle, second knuckle, third knuckle, nail, middle finger, first knuckle, second knuckle, third knuckle, nail, and your pointer finger, first knuckle, second knuckle, third knuckle, nail, and your thumb, the first knuckle, the second knuckle, and the nail. So you're aware of all five fingers of your left hand, your entire left hand, and your entire left arm. Bring your awareness now back up to the shoulder and into the left side of your neck, the left side of your throat on the inside. Be aware of the front of the left side of your neck, the side and the back. And now allow your awareness to travel up the back of the left side of your skull, all the way up the back of your skull, across to the top, and then down the front side, the front left side of your face, the left side of your forehead your left eyebrow, your left eye, left eyelashes, left side of your nose, nostril, left side of your mouth, lips, teeth, tongue, left side of your chin, to your left cheek, to your left ear, and now the left side of your brain. So take a moment, a couple of breaths, and just feel what that's like to be completely present in the left side of your body, from the tips of your toes, to the tips of your fingers, to the top of your head. How is that? Xavier, how is it for you? Well, being left-handed, I'm more aware of the left side of my body, generally speaking, than the right-hand side of my body. So mm -hmm. I guess with left-handers, you'd probably want to do this exercise in the reverse. I become aware of aches and pains that I didn't know I had, mm -hmm. but also pleasurable sensations. Mm -hmm. I tend to get sometimes when do exercise like this, like champagne on, on oh. the top, of, on the side of the glass, little sort of feelings like little things. little tingly yes. things. So yes. th yeah. Mm. Well, people often say to me because I always do this exercise in workshops, and people often say to me, "Wow, you know, the left side feels much warmer or more solid or more alive, right?" And then I say to them, "So how does the right side of your body feel?" And often the response is, "Oh." It's a bit dead or a bit empty, right? This is immediately after they do this exercise. Yes. So I ask you listeners, how's the left side of your body feeling in comparison to the right side of your body? Which side feels better? Which side would you like to live from? And which side would you like to make love from? Generally, people say the left. Okay. So the trick is to be able to feel like that all the time. In both time. sides of the body? In both sides of the body, yes. Do we but have we... time to do the right side? A little quick run through? We're running out of time. Uh... I just need a minute. Okay, a minute. We'll just do a quick run through. And in fact, this is a way that you can do it very quickly on your own if you want to. It's called a body scan. So again, getting symmetrical, closing your eyes, bringing your attention to your right little toe, just the right toe. And then the fourth toe, third toe, second toe, big toe, bringing your awareness and allowing it to travel up through your foot, the top of the foot, the bottom of your foot, into the ankle. Now allowing it to travel up your shin, up the bone, being aware of the muscles and the skin, up into your knee, up into your thigh, the bone, the muscles, the skin, up into your pelvis, the hip joint, 
your buttocks, the skin, being aware of the right side of your genitals, into your abdomen, into your chest, into your right shoulder, your right upper arm, elbow, forearm, into your right hand, little finger, ring finger, middle finger, pointer finger, thumb, up into the right side of your neck, the right side of your head, all the way down the right side of your face and the right side of your brain. Okay, so that's a quick way of getting through the whole body and now bring your attention to all ten toes, both feet, both lower legs, both knees, both thighs, your entire pelvis, your entire abdomen, your entire diaphragm, both arms, both hands, all ten fingers and your entire head, right? And Sandra from Rockhampton is asking us how often we can do this. Oh, you can do this as often as you like. But it's really lovely to do it as a daily practice if you can. And over subsequent shows, I'll be showing you more ways that you can incorporate this. But at the very least, whenever you're feeling a little bit stressed, just do that body scan, starting from your toes and working up and just relaxing with it. And what do we have to look forward to next week? Next week, yes. Well, next week I'm going to be teaching you a lot more about breathing because breathing is the best way. If you breathe correctly, that'll help you stay more present. Okay, so that's next week's practical activity. What we're going to be discussing is ditching myths, some of the really big myths that hold us back. Would you care to join me again? Oh, why not? Let's well, make this a thank habit. you, listeners. So please join Xavier and myself, Jacqueline Hellier, next week down on the Tantric Lounge.